guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Well, today begins our campaign of Christian service, as the opening prayer puts it. A campaign which, in the kind of ancient tradition, armies would band together and go taking the battle to the enemy. Traveling light, staying strong, and preparing to do battle. Preparing for victory. Today, of course, we know is a day of fasting and abstinence, as is Good Friday. Those, of course, indicating that we, between the ages of 14 and 59, don't eat meat and don't eat any more than a meal and two small snacks as a way of mortifying ourselves on this day to enter into the spirit of penance, of mortification, of conversion that the season of Lent is. And so, as we begin each Lent with this gospel reading of Jesus' commands about how to do this in the right spirit, it's worth considering for us a couple of important things. The first is that just because some people do this badly doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it at all. Just because some people pray in order to be seen, just because some people are generous in order to be recognized as such, just because some people fast in order to lose weight or, I don't know, appear to be spiritually rigorous, doesn't mean that we should therefore not do those things. What our Lord is insisting upon is that we do those things but with the right spirit. For his sake, not for ours. That's an important question to ask. And one of the things that has challenged me recently, a sermon by the great St. John Henry Newman, put a question to me that I've been, I've been pondering, that I want to I share with you and for us to reflect upon here at the beginning of Lent. And that question is this. If Christianity were proven to be false today, if it were proven that God did not exist, that Jesus did not rise from the dead, what would actually change about my life? At first, you'd think, well, I mean, lots of things. I'd stop going to Mass, I'd stop doing anything, you know, I wouldn't read the Bible, so on and so forth. But I think the profundity of his question is much deeper than that. Because we know there are people who would perhaps continue praying if they knew there was no one listening. People who would continue to fast if there was no reason to mortify ourselves for another life. There are people who would continue to be generous with their money if God did not exist and Jesus did not rise from the dead, if our faith were a lie. Which is a challenge because that provokes a consideration in me. Why do I do those things? Do I do them because I have a hope for reward in the life to come based on the word of God? Or do I do them because I already begin to see the benefits of them here and that really that's, that's what motivates me? For instance, a person might say, well, I like to pray because I find at the beginning of my day when I go to Mass, or when I spend time in 
in quiet prayer in my home or reading the scriptures or praying the rosary, I find myself, oh, I don't know, calmed. My mind is cleared. I feel more ready for the day and I'm more connected. Those are all good things, aren't they? Nobody would say, yeah, you shouldn't pray because it makes you feel good. But I think that question that, that Newman asks and that I'm putting to all of us here today reveals, well, that, that may be a good thing, but it doesn't have anything to do with our religion. That's not why our religion calls us to do those things. That's not why we are called to give to the poor. We give to the poor, yes, because it feels good to be generous. I think any of us who have, who have been in a position to really help someone in need, there's something very satisfying about that. And if then I go on to look for other opportunities to help others, not so much to help them, but to get that feeling that I have back, well, there's nothing wrong with that per se. It just doesn't have anything to do with our religion. And if we fast because, well, there's all sorts of health benefits that are being talked about with intermittent fasting and all these other different strategies of only eating between certain hours or certain kinds of foods. Well, that's great. There's nothing wrong with fasting for health reasons. But if Christianity were proved false, if Jesus did not rise from the dead and we're still dead in our sins, we would probably continue to fast if we thought it was good. The point of all of this is to ask ourselves, why do I do these things that are asked of me as a Catholic Christian? And the answer for us must be because we are prepared to sacrifice what is seen for what is unseen. We are prepared to act upon the prospect of eternal life as if we already possessed it. And we are prepared to stake our present happiness or any other good on the chance that one day we will receive a future happiness. That's the Christian campaign of service right there, brothers and sisters. That's a challenging thought to me. I hope it's a challenging thought to you. To consider what would actually change about my life if all of this were proven to be false. St. Paul says, not in our readings today, but elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians, if we have had hope in Christ with this life only in view, we are the most pitiable of all people. We've made a terrible mistake. Because Jesus didn't die to make our life in this world better. That's not why he came. That's not why he forgives our sins. He came to give us life in abundance. The fullness of life. Life that is hidden now with him in God. But that has been promised to us in the Holy Spirit. Some of you might have heard of a film that's recently been released. It didn't receive any accolades or any of the awards that it deserved. It was a film about a man, a saint actually, Blessed Franz Jager's daughter, who lived in the 1940s in Austria. And when he was drafted into Hitler's army, he refused to take the oath of loyalty to Hitler. 
Now, what I find interesting about this story is that we all think we would not take the oath of loyalty to Hitler. We would know better. We'd look around and see our entire neighborhood, our whole city, our entire country rising up in loyalty to this very, very bad man who's doing very evil things. And we would know better, right? We all think that. But this film portrays in a beautiful way what that cost that man, Franz Jager's daughter. Because everybody did want Hitler to be victorious. Everybody did support Hitler. Everybody wanted to avoid the consequences of not being loyal to Hitler. And so they made their peace with him. But this man, Franz Jager's daughter, refused. And he refused because he did not want to lose his eternal soul by making a compromise for an easy life in this world. And so he was imprisoned, he was tormented, he was taken away from his wife and children in a beautiful village in rural Austria, looking out over the Alps, living a simple, hidden life, but was plucked up by the hair by a terrible, sweeping storm that turned the whole world upside down and lost his life in the process because, in the end, because he refused, he was executed. And John Paul II beatified him in the, early part, in the latest part of his pontificate, the early part of the 20th, 21st century. And this film, I highly recommend you, you watch it. It's called A Hidden Life. It's long. There's beautiful scenery. There's difficult scenes to watch. But in the end, it tells the story of what the campaign of Christian service really is. If it's with this life only in view that we have had hope in Christ, we are the most pitiable of all people. I want to end as we consider and reflect upon this call issued by Jesus in the scriptures, issued by the church at this time each year. I want to end with part of the sermon invoking and pointing to St. John the Apostle as a particular patron of this spirit that is to hold in us during this holy season. Remember St. John was asked by Jesus, can you drink the cup that I am to drink of? And he said, I am I'm able. St. John, dying last of all the apostles, had to first hear of his brother's death, St. James, then one by one of the other apostles. He had to bear a length of years in loneliness, exile, and weakness. He had to experience the dreariness of being solitary when those whom he loved had been summoned away. He had to live in his own thoughts without a familiar friend, with those only about him who belonged to a younger generation. Of him were demanded by his Lord all his eye loved and his heart held dear. He was like a man moving his belongings into a faraway country who, one by one, sent them ahead of him till his present dwelling was completely unfurnished. He sent forward his friends on their journey while he himself stayed behind. That there might be those in heaven to have thoughts of him, to look out for him, and to receive him when his Lord should call. 
he set before him as still more pledges and ventures of his faith, a zealous maintenance of the truth, fasting and prayers, labors of love, a chaste life, being persecuted by heathens and banished. Well might so great a saint say at the end of his days, Come, Lord Jesus, as those who are weary of the night and wait for the morning. That, brothers and sisters, is our prayer today. Wherever we find ourselves weary of the night, weary with our fasting, weary with our deprivations and our suffering, our disappointments, we, marked with the sign of his cross, marked with the sign of our weakness, cry out, come, Lord Jesus. If you've not made your decision today, what it is that you might be called to give to the Lord. Pray tonight. Lord, whatever I do, whatever I do, make it an act of faith in me that what I'm handing over for this short time, what I'm giving to you, what I'm sacrificing, or what I'm promising to commit to, that I would do it for no other reason than you have asked it of me in hope. And that what I give to you, you keep for me waiting in eternity for my happiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.